Questions. We are in our fourth and final week looking at questions. Woo! What did we talk about last week? Talked about angels, animals. What were, what were the specific questions that we talked about up here on the screen? How do relationships work in heaven? Were Adam and Eve white? What was the other one? There was one more. We did talk about the talking donkey, and Miss Diana just threw the whole row off. We talked about Adam and Eve, and whether or not they were white or some other ethnicity. We talked about the talking donkey, but that wasn't an official question up here. That was a good question, though. We talked about how relationships work in heaven, and there was one more that I addressed at the beginning. Will we be young or old in heaven? Yeah, see, some of you got it. So tonight, tonight we're looking at, since it's week four, we're going to look at four questions, okay? We're going to go through these four questions, and you've already got them on your sheet there, so we're just going to jump right into it. The first one is what? Do we ever get on God's nerves? How many of you think we get on God's nerves? Just, do you get on God's nerves? If we're imperfect and we have nerves, why wouldn't God? I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us that. Do we get on, wait, okay, guys, pay attention. How many of you think, yes, we get on God's nerves? How many of you think that? How many of you, put your hands down, think, no, we don't ever get on God's nerves? Okay, okay, there's a couple of you, there's a couple of you. Now, see, I could, I could see both sides of this. I could see both arguments because our natural inclination would be to say, well, no. We'd say, no, God is, God is loving, God is patient, God is kind, God is merciful, and he's full of grace. And how could we get on God's nerves if he is all of those things? But as we look at Scripture, we also see that, yes, God is all of those things, we see that God is all of those things, but we also see that he is all of those things to a point. And after a certain point, God shows us that he is a jealous God. God shows us that he is a God full of wrath. He shows us that we will have no one before him. So when we talk about do we get on God's nerves, we're going to do what we've done every week of this series, and we're going to go to Scripture and see what the Bible says about that. And the first time we really see an example of somebody that might have got on God's nerves was all the way back in the first book of the Bible. It was in Genesis chapter 6. Here's what happened. It's talking about man. It's talking about they've, God has created Adam and Eve. They've sinned. They've been kicked out of the garden. They've started having children. Man has multiplied. And over in Genesis chapter 6 verse 1, it says this. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. God sets your lifespan right there. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward. When the sons of God came in to the daughters of man, they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Now pay attention here. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continuously. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. And verse 8 says, but Noah found favor 
in the eyes of the Lord. Now, yes, I know that first part brings up a lot of questions, and some of those questions we don't have answers for because Scripture never talks about what it means by the sons of God and the Nephilim that it talks about there. We don't see that anywhere else in Scripture, so some of that we really just don't know. But as we look at what's going on here, we see that man, man has gone so far that we have grieved God. It says that he regretted he even made man and put us on the earth, that it grieved him to his heart. Now, understand something here. God was not surprised by what man did. Because if he was surprised by what man did, he is not omniscient. He does not know everything, and he's not God. So God already knew what was going to happen here. But it's kind of like some of you may have been in a situation before. You've got a friend, and your friend's facing a decision, and you want with everything in you for your friend to make the right choice, but you know deep down they're still not going to make the right choice. That's kind of like what's going on here with God. God gives us the ability to choose him, to choose to honor him. But a lot of times we don't take that, right? And that's kind of what's going on right here, is that man has started sinning, and man has gotten evilness in his heart to the point that God is grieved that he ever even made man. You see, right there in the first book of the Bible, we see a great example of how man kind of got on God's nerves. To the point where God didn't just say, okay, y'all do what you want. He said, okay, I'm going to do something about this. It's like when I have to get on to my kids. After a while, they're doing something, doing something. At a point, I've got to stop it and do something about the situation. Because after a while, it gets on your nerves. That's what's going on with God here. He says, this is far enough, guys. We're going to do something here. But that's not the only example we see it. If you jump over in the same book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 11... This is some scripture that we read last week. We see man doing something and God taking action against man one more time. Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower that it, with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is, the only, this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come. Let us go down and there confuse their language so they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Now, what's going on right here is you've got all of humanity up until that point working together, and they come together and they decide to build this city. And in this city, they want to build this tower that will touch the heavens. But it tells us the reason they were doing this was not to honor and glorify God and to worship Him. It says they were doing this so that they could make a name for themselves. But see, the whole reason they were building the city is so that people would look at that and say, man, we did a great job. That's all about us. That's all about me. That's all about humanity. And God's not okay with that. 
You see, God wants us to focus on Him. God wants the things in our lives, the things that we do every day, to become glorifying and honoring to who He is and what He's done, and to give Him the ability and the gifts that He's given us. We're supposed to take those things and praise Him with those, not turn around and praise ourselves, not turn around and make a name for ourselves. Is, is making a name for yourself necessarily wrong? Well, no, there's a lot of people that do it. Most recent example in, in the news, Tim Tebow. And I talked about this a couple weeks ago. He's made a name for himself. But in that process, you see that man making a name for himself, pointing everything he does back to glorifying and honoring God when he does what he does on a football field. That's not what's going on here. And God says, okay, that's enough. I've let you guys do so much. Now, I'm going to do something about it. You're not going to go any further. You see, that's, that's kind of a scary place to be, to know that we can get so far that God says, stop. I don't want you to go past this point. You, you're getting on my last nerve. We're going to do something here. But I'll be honest with you. I would rather have God intervene in my life when I'm stepping over the line than I would rather have the alternative because it also tells us in Scripture that we can get so far into living our life for us, we can get so far into desiring sin, that God will look at us and say, you want it, you got it. And everything that comes with it, every consequence, every choice, every emotion, everything that comes with the sin that you want so badly that has nothing to do with me, it's yours. Because he does that in Scripture too. If you look at the account of Moses trying to convince Pharaoh to get, let him take the Israelites out of Egypt, it tells us through the first couple plagues, it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. That Pharaoh is the one who said, no, Moses, I'm not going to let the people go. I don't care what you do. You're not getting out of here. But about halfway through those plagues, the phrase changes. It no longer says Pharaoh hardened his heart. It changes to God hardened heart. Pharaoh's heart. We see it got to a point where God said, Pharaoh, you want it, you got it, and you're getting everything else that comes with it. That's a scary place to be, guys, to know we can get to that point where we want sin so bad in our life. We want something so much that we are willing to turn away from God and not focus on Him, and God will say, yeah, it's yours, and everything that comes with it. Every heartache, every circumstance, every consequence, every single thing that comes with that sin, you can have it. It tells us he does that. If you look over in Romans in the New Testament, chapter 1, verse 24, it says, Therefore God gave them up in their lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And then if you jump down to 28, it says this, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. He gave them up. Now, does that mean if we want sin so badly that we're no longer a Christian, we don't belong to God anymore? We answered that question the first week. What's the answer to that? No. If you belong to God, you're God's but he can still let you have the consequences of your sin. It says he gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Verse 29, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, 
covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. That's a pretty comprehensive list, don't you think? Any of us ever fall into any of that category? I know I have. I probably did today. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. That's a scary place to be, guys. To know that we have gone so far with God, we have gotten on his last nerve that he just says, have at it. He's still our God. He's still in control. He can still use every bad consequence that can come from those choices we make to honor and glorify himself. That's what he did with Pharaoh. It says he raised him up so that God's honor and glory could be shown. So do we get on God's nerves? Scripture would say, yeah. We just got to be careful how far we're willing to go on those nerves. Because sometimes he'll stop us in our tracks and he'll get our attention. Other times, he'll open the door and just let you walk right through and do what you want to do. And have every consequence that comes with it. That's not, that's not like a fun one to have the answer to, but that's what scripture says. So be careful. Be careful about the choices you make. Be careful about the things that you allow into your life, the friends that you allow into your life. Please put your phone away and pay attention unless you're using it for your Bible, okay? We've got to be careful about how we live our life for God to make sure we're not getting focused on us and our glory and our honor and stop looking at who God is and what he's called us to do. That's question number one. Let's go on to question number two. Are Jews going to heaven? Quick question. Was Jesus Jewish? Is Jesus in heaven? We can stop. Okay, we know there's at least one. Yeah, that's a good question though. Are Jews going to heaven? Because traditionally, Orthodox Judaism, they don't believe Jesus was the Messiah. They don't believe he was the Savior of the world, the Son of God. So it's a legitimate question. Will there be Jewish people in heaven? So let's look at what Scripture says. Before we get into that, let me make a distinction. There's two ways to, to, to reference the word Jewish. There's the nationality of being Jewish, as the Israelite people were. They were the Jewish nation. And then there's the religion, Judaism. You can say someone is Jewish. They practice those beliefs. They practice that Old Testament covenant and the law that was set forth back then. So there's a distinction there, but let's address both of those. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 1, here's what it says. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed... 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribes of Judah were sealed. 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben. 12,000 from the tribe of Gab. 12, Gad. 12,000 from the tribe of Asher. 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali. 
12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulon, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, and 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. So it just went through the 144,000, and it says that these are the sons of Israel. It would indicate to us, if we take this part of Revelation in a very literal reading and understanding, that yes, there's going to be at least 144,000 Jewish people in heaven. If we take that as a literal reading. Now, there's some people that look at Revelation and all of Revelation and say, you can't take that literally. Because all of Revelation is a prophecy, and it's a vision, and everything means something else. And there's some people that will look at that 144,000 and say, that's not 144,000 Jewish people. That's 144,000 members of God's church. That's a representation of all the nationalities, of all the different people that have believed in Christ since the day he was, since before he was born, the day he was crucified. Since that time, that is just a representation of that number. Which one that is, I'll be honest with you, I don't know. I don't know if that's supposed to be a literal or figurative. And that has been debated for hundreds of years and will continue to be debated. But I can still tell you for sure there will be Jews in heaven. Because I know there's something called a Messianic Jew. Anybody ever heard that phrase before? You've got Orthodox Judaism and you've got Messianic Judaism. Orthodox Judaism tells you this. The way that you live your life is the same way they lived their life before Jesus Christ came, under the Old Testament covenant, where you follow all the rules, all the rituals, but Jesus Christ was a great man. He might have been a prophet, but he was not the Son of God. That's Orthodox Judaism. They don't believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins. Messianic Jews, they still hold to all of those traditions, to some of those lifestyles, but they have taken the step to say, yes, Jesus Christ died for my sins. And I know that, and I need his forgiveness. So what that tells me is that, yes, there will be Jews in heaven. Because there are people who live the Jewish lifestyle, the traditional Jewish lifestyle, who will tell you to your face, yes, Jesus Christ died for my sins. It's a good question, and it tells us, yeah, they're going to be there. Because if they've trusted as Christ as their Savior, they're going to heaven. But I still go back to my first answer. Jesus was Jewish. Jesus is in heaven. There will be Jews in heaven. Plain and simple, right? All right, let's move on to the next one. Question number three. Does singing a song that has a satanic chant allow a demon... No, I'm, I've switched them up. It's okay. So I switched them up. Calm down. I'm sorry. I know for, 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 you, for you type A personalities, the questions are reversed at the end. It's okay. Okay, just jump down to number four. We'll come back to it, I promise. Let's go to this one. Does singing a song that has a satanic chant in it allow a demon to come into you? How many of you think yes? I don't know. I haven't heard one. I'm just telling you the question that was given to me. You think it does? Okay. How many of you think no? Okay. There's some of you that's like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm kind of curious what's going on here. Let me ask, okay, let me start by asking a question of my own. Why are you listening to a song with a satanic chant in it? 
Oh, don't start that has a good beat. I've used that argument. That's a bunch of junk. Okay? I can't tell you how many times Kathleen and I had that debate in high school. Yes. I can't. I don't. I'm assuming. Okay. 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 Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. We're talking about a, a satanic chant. I haven't heard any song that does it, but but I'm just assuming here, making a guess that we're, it's it's something that talks about Satan, something that glorifies Satan, something that gives him honor, and not God. Okay, I don't know what they are. I haven't heard them. I hope I never do. But that's the question here: is does singing a song uh, with a satanic chant in it let a demon come into your body? This is a good question, but this question goes all the way back to week number one when we talked about whether or not you can lose your salvation. What was the answer to that question? No. If you, if you have hit that moment where you said, God, I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness through Jesus Christ, and I'm going to live my life for him, and you are his child, you are sealed, you are justified in that moment by the blood of Christ, I don't care what you listen to. I don't care what you sing. Christ and Satan do not occupy the same space. It just doesn't happen. You belong to God. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. He is in your life. Demons can't take that space. Now, if that's the case, and you do have the Holy Spirit in your life, there ought to be something in your head when you hear that satanic chant or whatever it may be that sets off an alarm that says, stop listening to this, because this is not glorifying God. This is glorifying Satan. This is glorifying the enemy, the one who we talked about with the band today when we looked at 1 Peter, who is walking around roaring like a lion, looking for every opportunity he can to take you down. Why even mess with it? Why even go there? Why even spend time listening to that stuff and putting it into your head? Romans chapter 8 says this, and it said it the first week we did these questions. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, no. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, including demons and Satan. Nothing nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus Christ casts out demons. If you belong to him, a demon's not going to enter into your body and take you over because the Holy Spirit's already there and they can't take up the same space. That's what Scripture tells us. Now, if you don't belong to Christ, you better watch out. You better be careful. That's all I'm going to say about that. Let's go to the next one. For those of you who were so scared that I skipped number three, let's go back to number three. Throw that question up there, Josh. Ah, oh, the one everybody wants to know. Man, you guys, you guys like jumped on me when I tried to skip this question. Everybody wants to know the answer. Is it wrong to drink alcohol if you are of age? 
Is it wrong to drink alcohol if you are of age? Let me start here. If you are in this room right now and you are not 21, even if it's not wrong, it's illegal. Okay? If you do it now, if nothing else, you're breaking the law. And Scripture tells us that we are to obey man's authority because every authority is appointed by who? God. So your respect for that law shows your respect and your honor for God. Okay? That's where we're going to start. But is it wrong if you're of age? Is it wrong if you're 21 and the state says, yes, you can have alcohol? How many of you think, no, it's not wrong? Show of hands. Okay? How many of you think, yes, it is? Okay? That's, hey, no, I'm, I'm asking for honest opinions here. Let's look at what Scripture says. Hey, hey, be- before we get into that specific answer, I want to I share with you an argument that I, I heard made one time. That, that, yes, they drank wine in the Bible. That Even Jesus had wine at, at the wedding, even though it never tells us he actually drank the wine. He was there and it was being served, so we just make the assumption that Jesus had wine. I've heard people make the argument against drinking being wrong to say that it was okay for them to drink back then because what they drank was not the same kind of alcohol like we drink now. It wasn't fermented. It wasn't the same process where you had the percentage of alcohol. That's not right. Because if you look in Genesis chapter 9, stick with me. Verse 19, the sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three sons, these three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were, are dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. So don't tell me, don't tell me, you can't use that argument that, that what they drank then wasn't as alcoholic as it was now, because back in Genesis, Noah got drunk, okay? So is it wrong? What does Scripture say? Does Scripture say yes or no? Okay, Scripture says don't get drunk. Everywhere you see anything about drinking in Scripture, and I love this, Pastor Ray says this all the time, it comes with a warning label. Anytime you see it talking about somebody who's telling someone to take a drink or, to, or take something, some kind of wine, it comes with a warning label, like the don't get drunk. But you see, there's more to it than just is it right or wrong. There's a whole lot more to it. Because the question is, what is our responsibility as Christians? As those who say we follow God, we glorify and honor Him with everything that we do, and I, I pray that is our goal, even though we may fail miserably on a daily basis. I pray that's what we strive for. Scripture tells us we have a greater responsibility than a simple yes or no, is it wrong or is it not wrong? Let's look at what it says. 1 Corinthians 6 Verse 12, and we're looking at the responsibility I have to myself first when it comes to drinking. It says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. And here's the first area we need, to, we need to think about when it comes to whether or not we're going to drink alcohol when we are of age. How do you know alcohol is not going to dominate you? 
where it says right there, it says everything is lawful, but I will not be dominated by anything. How do you know that when you take that first drink, that that thing is not going to dominate your life? How do you know? I've had people make the argument, well, you know what? I've never been tempted by alcohol. Well, it's probably a pretty good chance that God has protected you from that temptation because he knows what might happen in your life. He knows how you might lose control. And I've also had people say, you know what? I'm I'm not controlled by alcohol. True. But at the same time, your biggest concern is getting through the week so you can get to the party so you can get a drink in your hand. Or when you wake up on Sunday morning, the only reason you remember what happened that weekend is because somebody took pictures and video with your phone and you can flip through it and see what went on. Yeah, you may not be an alcoholic, but if that's your thought process or if that happens to you on a regular basis, you're dominated by it. It's controlling your thought process. It's controlling what you do. I have never... I have never met an alcoholic who set out to become an alcoholic. Never. But I've met a lot of them who said, I just started drinking every once in a while, and it took over my life. So we have a responsibility as Christians to make sure that there is nothing, nothing in our life that has control over us except for Jesus Christ. That there is nothing that is dominating our thought process or our actions more than who God has called us to be through his son. That's the first thing we have to think about when we try to answer that question. The second thing we need to think about is not only our responsibility to us, but our responsibility to other people. And I've, 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 I've heard the argument made, well, it's my life. I don't care what other people think. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. But the reality is, people are watching you. Whether you like it or not, people are watching what you do, even when you don't know they're watching you. I've got got a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old. And then I've got a one-year-old. And they can get that one-year-old to do just about anything, including scream her head off all the way to church on Sunday morning, because that happened this past Sunday. You should have been, we got video somewhere. You should have been in our car. Oh. But she is constantly watching her brothers. And she is learning from them what they do. And she's picking up good habits. And she's picking up bad habits. And we have to constantly tell them, guys, your sister's learning from you. Because they don't think about it that way. And the same thing is true for us. We go about our daily life and we make decisions based on how they affect us and what they're going to do to our life. And we sometimes don't give consideration to how those decisions are going to affect the people that are watching every single thing that we do. And they are watching. You guys are in high school. They will never admit it, but there's about 20 middle schoolers over there that would give anything just to hang out with you guys for a while. And they're watching what you do. They watch you at school. They watch you at church. They watch you at football games. They listen to your conversations when they can sneak up close enough to you to hear you. They're watching what you do. And it tells us we have a responsibility. In Romans chapter 14, verse 20, it says, Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. 
It's talking about food there. But the next verse, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. This says that even though it's okay for me, I'm 35 years old, I'm allowed to go have a drink if I want to. But think about this. You walk out on a Friday night to a football game, obviously not the one here, and you see me in the parking lot with a beer in my hand. Does your view of me change? And the things that I've tried to help you understand from Scripture every Wednesday night and Sunday mornings when we talk about what God's Word says, you may say it doesn't, but I can promise you it does. I can promise you in the back of your mind it's registered somewhere. I can't believe I just saw Pastor Jesse with a beer in his hand. It tells me right here that we have a responsibility that our actions cannot cause other people to stumble. We're responsible if that happens. It's legal for me to drink. But if I do it, and one of you sees it, and then you think it's okay to drink, and next thing we know, five years down the road, you've dropped out of college because alcohol has consumed your life and it destroys who you are. Yeah, you made a choice, but I caused that stumble to happen. You get what I'm saying here? We have to think about how our actions affect other people that may be watching us. Is it legal for me to drink? Yes. Is it the right thing to do as a Christian and my responsibility to what God has called me to? No, it's not. That's a question every one of you in this room has to answer for yourself. When you're 21, you're legal. The state says you can do it. But what does Scripture say? What responsibility are you going to take, not only for yourself and whether or not that controls you, but also for those who might be watching you? It's legal, but is it the best thing to do? Is it, is, the, is it the best way to be a witness for God and what Jesus Christ has called us to do as men and women of God after His own heart? No, it's not. You may not like that answer, but it's what Scripture says. And that's what we're going off of. Not my opinion, but what Scripture actually said. We are called through all of these questions, through all of these things we've talked about over these four weeks, we are called to live a life that honors and glorifies God in every single thing that we do. Even when we fail, even when we fall flat on our face, we are called to get back up and to continue striving in that race to glorify God. And that's my prayer for you. As we've gone through these questions, take what you hear on a Wednesday night, take what you hear on a Sunday morning and get into scripture for yourself. Search it. You guys ask these questions because you haven't gotten into it to find out the answer for yourself. I haven't done anything in four weeks that you can't do. I haven't. It's that easy. You just got to get into it and see what it says. It's, it's an incredible book, and it's got answers. Even when there's not a yes or no, there's guidance. There's points that we can live by. And my prayer for you is that you will take what we've gone over these last four weeks and get into God's word yourself. Try to find the answers to those hard questions. When you can't find them, 
ask somebody who's got more experience, and they might be able to help guide you. Sometimes the answer is not there to the specific question, but the guiding principles for your life are. So those were your questions. I know we did not address every question simply because we didn't have time to address every single question. But we've got about five minutes before we need to stop. Salt team, we have a quick meeting tonight right after we get done, right over here in the corner. We got about five minutes. If anybody's got any other questions for our last week of Q&A. Rachel, how did I know your hand was going to go up first? Hold on. No, you have to. We got to be able to hear it. Okay, Josh, what's your question? No, okay, seriously. Um, oh, gosh. Okay, uh, Genesis 6, 1 through 3, excited in 3, actually, that maximum age is 120. Mm -hmm. How come Noah lived to like 300, whatever? Uh, only God knows that. It tells us there that he set, he set the maximum age at that point in time to 120. He's God. He can change it. There's other folks in the Old Testament after Noah that lived much longer than 120 years. Moses. Noah himself, Moses, they lived longer than 120 years. But at that point in time, before he destroyed the earth, he said the lifespan is 120 years. So potentially we could live forever, like a really long time. We can live as long as God wants us to live. Gotcha. He's the one that gets to make that decision. I brought you into this world, I'll take you out. That's God's motto. <laughs> Do you have a question? Yes. All right, we got another question. Okay, um, from the first question you said, do we get on God's nerves? You use examples from the Old Testament saying how he would give in to our sin because God was the one like directly mm -hmm. related to him. Mm -hmm. What about after the cross? Because is not Jesus our like interceder in between us and God? Yes, he is. That's how like after he died, the curtain was ripped, all that stuff. So if God can't see our sin because Jesus is in between us, do we still no, It, it doesn't nerves? say God can't see our sin. But Jesus is in between us. Right. And he's the interceder that goes to God from us. Grayson's between you and I. Do you still know I'm here even though you can't see me? Yes, but... God can see everything. Right. God chooses to see Christ instead of our sin. That doesn't right. mean he can't see our sin. But if he sees Christ instead of us... Mm-hmm. Do we still get on his nerves even though he sees Christ instead of our sin? Right. Okay. Yes. Do we have any instances in the New Testament where we see something like that happening? Where we see God stepping in and doing something? Okay. Jesus, Jesus put the guard's ear back on his head. You could say that's a way of him intervening. I don't, I don't know if that's exactly us getting on his nerves. Do you have something to add? I, mean, I was thinking we don't see God dropping people dead like he did in the Old mm -hmm. Testament. We do see more patience because of grace through Jesus. But Ananias and Sapphira exactly. were in the first church and they lied. And You remember I talked about that on integrity, New Year's Day. They were members of the early church. First time it talks about the church. Ananias and Sapphira, they sold a field. They told the church they sold it for X when they sold it for Y and they kept more money and lied about it. And what happened? They dropped dead on the spot because, if you remember, Peter looks at him and says, why have you agreed, why have you agreed to lie to God, to lie to the Holy Spirit? And you see the Holy Spirit, you see God intervene in that instance. 
And it says they were part of the church. They were part of the believers. So it is still possible. We don't necessarily see it. We don't see it as much in the New Testament as we did in the Old Testament, but it is there. You got a good point, though. Anybody else? We got time for one more question. You're just dying in the back. No, I need the mic for the for the sound. That's go ahead. Anyways, the last verse you read about were you talking about the alcohol or whatever? Mm-hmm. It says no meat or wine. Mm-hmm. Is he basically saying to be vegetarian? No, no, he's what not saying. Okay, where it says no meat or wine, what he's referencing there is at one point in time. Listen up. At one point in time, for the for the Jewish people, the Israelite nation, there were certain foods that were deemed they were unclean. They were told by God, these are unclean animals. You do not eat these animals. But then, <coughs> excuse me, then God sent a vision. Was it Peter, right? It was to Peter. Was it Peter? Cornelius? No, but it was Peter with Cornelius. God sent a vision to him that told him that now it's okay to eat any of these animals. But what he's referencing there is saying that, okay, even though God has said every bit of this is clean, you can eat anything you want to. If you're with someone and they choose not to eat that meat because they still believe it's unclean and it's going to hurt their walk with God, then it's better for you not to eat that meat because you're going to, you're going to cause them to stumble. They're going to look at you and say, well, I, didn't, I, thought it was, I thought we weren't supposed to do that. That's what it's talking about when it says no meat or no wine. It's not saying be a vegetarian. It depends on how, how it re- affects them. It would be respectful to say, do you mind if I eat meat in front of you? You can do that. It depends on, it, it kind of depends on what their religion is. I mean, it, it depends on what their religion, if they're a vegetarian because Satan told them meat's going to harm them, I don't know that I'd worry about it in that case. Because they're worshiping Satan. You got a much different conversation you need to have with that individual. Okay? I, I, know, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. It, it depends on what the religion is and why the reason is that they're deciding not to do it. But it's basically giving us the example. It's using that as an example to say there are certain things that, yes, they are great for you to do and they are fine for you to do, but you in doing them, like the alcohol, could be a stumbling block for somebody else. And it's better for you not to do it around them than it is to do it and cause them to stumble. All right. I'm sorry. That's all we got time for today. I know you got questions. Feel, feel, free, to come, feel free to come talk to me. I, I, I guys... Just because we've finished this series doesn't mean you can't still turn in questions. Doesn't mean every once in a while we won't do a Wednesday night where we just go over questions again. Okay? So continue to turn them in if you've got them. I'm keeping the track of these things and got them all written down so I don't lose them. Okay? All right? We're going to stop there.